Hi, Dave Ramey here. This is Photometric Program number 1235. How many lies before you belong to the lie, part 8. This is being recorded on March 16th of the year 2022. Uh, very quickly, two links, three links. <laughs> that, uh, these are at the top of each article length for the record description featuring all of the printed sources upon which the program is based uh, and also at the top of each Food for Thought post on the left-hand side of the front page of the SpitfireList.com website. One of those links will enable you to subscribe to the comments that were made mostly by Perifractal, our brilliant contributing editor, some by other intelligent listeners. The second link will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being made of For the Record by Sister Station WFMU. So if podcasting is the best way for you to consume the program, Sister Station WFMU is podcasting the program. The third link will enable you to get the 32 gigabyte flash drive with virtually everything that I have done for uh, roughly 43 years, basically all of the information on the SpitfireList.com website, plus a library of old anti-fascist books on easy-to-download PDF files. That is available for a nominal fee, and it is tax-deductible if you deduct, if you itemize your deductions. I get no money whatsoever from that flash drive. Uh, increasingly, it's looking real bad, and uh, let's hope that uh, things don't reach the conclusion they might. Uh, this evening, uh, I'm going to be presenting some genuinely apocalyptic possibilities, and uh, this this program might be subtitled The Armageddon Blues. Uh, the title, How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lie, comes from Mort Saul, the late brilliant political comedian who in his 1976 autobiography observed, quote, how many lies before you belong to the lie? In other words, how many lies can you allow yourself to believe before you belong to the lie? Uh, Mort Saul, not incidentally, was one of Jim Garrison's investigators when the New Orleans DA, DA was investigating the assassination of JFK. We're going to be talking about false flag operations. We're going to be talking about a very frightening degree of intersection between the long level of inquiry that I introduced in uh, the long Oswald Institute of Virology series and the disclosures that, yes, indeed, the U.S. Uh, Pentagon has been funding biological laboratories in Ukraine. There has been a lot of equivocation on that by the U.S., but uh, reading between the lines, yeah, that's true. And there has also been a lot of disturbing uh, verbiage coming from the U.S. and the West in general about false flag operations by Russia vis-a-vis chemical or biological warfare. 
false flags, by the way, are a regular feature, have been a regular feature of the OUNB successor organizations controlling the national security establishment in Ukraine, going all the way back to the Maidan coup itself in which the uh, catalyzing sniper fire, which killed both protesters and police, has been proven in a painstaking, thorough dissection by Professor Ivan Kachinovsky uh, of Canada to have come from buildings occupied by Svoboda, uh, nay, the Social National Party of Ukraine, uh, and uh, that pattern of provocation slash false flags has continued through the MH17 shoot-down. Let's hope it does not continue so far past, past the point. Um, something I would alert people to, uh, Zelensky, Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, has claimed he has survived various uh, numbers of uh, Russian assassination attempts. The highest I've seen is 12. I would be skeptical about that. If the Russians, in fact, knew enough about Zelensky's whereabouts and his uh, security to target him with 12 assassination attempts, I suspect they would have used a more technologically uh, sophisticated and surefire way of doing that. What I am concerned about is that the uh, Nazi elements in Ukraine, and we're going to talk about that, uh, might very well decide to use him as a sacrificial lamb. They don't like Jews. He is nominally at least a Jew. I don't know if he is a practicing Jew, but his financial backing uh, when he ran for president came from Ihor Kolomoyskoy, uh, one of the main financiers of the Azov Battalion. And uh, one of the possible false flag operations we need to be aware of is the possibility that some of the Nazi elements in, in Ukraine, Azov uh, combatants or uh, something of their ilk, could assassinate Zelensky and then it will, of course, be blamed on the Russians. And who knows what will happen after that, particularly if Zelensky decides to reach some sort of peace accommodation with the Russians. And he has been talking about Ukraine not joining NATO. That was one of the key Russian demands, and uh, it, it turns out that, in fact, uh, Ukraine had signed a document in 2019 committing them to NATO membership. Uh, to indicate the possibilities, or really to, to gauge how far down the tube we have gotten collectively, and uh to indicate why I have a bad case of the Armageddon blues, I'm going to do my best to read the English translations of a YouTube, a Twitter video that was taken from Ukraine 24. That is Ukraine's top television station. And a commentator on that named Farudin, F-A-H-R-U-D-B-I-N, Sharaf Mal, S-H-A-R-A-F-M-A-L, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, held forth on Ukraine TV as follows. I'm going to try to read this as the translation feeds in this YouTube video. I've never tried to do anything like this before, so we'll see how this works. Here he is in... uh, I know that as a journalist, I have to be objective. I have to be balanced in order to give you information with a cold heart. 
But to tell, but to tell you the truth, it is very difficult to hold on now, especially at such a time, and since we are being called Nazis, fascists, etc. Anyway, I can allow myself to quote the words of Adolf Eichmann, who said that in order to destroy a nation, it is necessary to destroy, first of all, children, because after you kill the parents, the children will grow up and will definitely, and uh, by, by killing children, anyway, the armed forces of Ukraine, I'm going to try this again, because it, 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 the speed uh, does, is not uniform. One more time. This is from Ukraine 24, Faroudim Sharath Mal. Here we go. I know that as a journalist, I have to be objective, I have to be balanced in order to give you information with a cold heart. But to tell you the truth, it is very difficult to hold on now, especially at such a time, and since we are being called Nazis, fascists, etc. anyway, I can allow myself to quote the words of Adolf Eichmann, who said that in order to destroy a nation, it is necessary to destroy, first of all, children. Because after you kill the parents, the children will grow up and will definitely take revenge. By killing children, they will never go up and the nation will disappear. The armed forces of Ukraine cannot annihilate Russian children because it is prohibited by the rules of war and it is prohibited by various conventions, including the Geneva Convention. But I am not from the armed forces of Ukraine, and whenever I get a chance to massacre the Russians, I will definitely do it. Since you call me a Nazi, I adhere to the doctrine of Adolf Eichmann, and I will do everything in my power to ensure that both you and your children never live on this earth. In order for you to feel how it is when innocent civilians die, in order for you to feel all the pain and suffering when you say, and we did not start the war, it was all Putin, and did not want this war, We didn't want the war either, but you must understand that we are talking about the victory of the Ukrainian people, not about peace. We need a victory. And if we have to butcher all your families for this, I will be one of the first to do it. Glory to the nation. And we hope that such a nation as Russia and Russians will never exist on this earth again, because they are just degenerates who are polluting this earth. If Ukrainians have the opportunity, and this is what they are doing now, generally speaking, butcheries, cutting, killing, strangling Muscovites, and I hope that everyone will contribute and kill at least one Muscovite. That again, uh, from Ukraine 24, uh, arguably their number one television station, uh, quoting uh, verbatim Adolf Eichmann, and then uh, basically uh, pivoting his comments about Jews, to uh, comments about Russians. Um, although the uh, Russian-speaking population of uh, the Donetsk Republic has not been subjected to genocide, with their language basically being excised, as we looked at last week among others, and uh, with people like that uh, in the mix on the other side, uh, the possibility that uh, genocide could have been uh, uh, perpetrated is not one to be taken lightly. As I've said, and uh, I'm going to have to move quickly, I believe that Putin was basically lured into a trap, and that the war in Ukraine is a European recapitulation, or if 
restoration of the Afghanistan gambit in which Zbigniew Brzezinski, Jimmy Carter's national security advisor, uh, basically launched a covert operation to draw the Russians into Afghanistan and to give them their Vietnam. And that, combined with other factors, helped to bring down the Soviet Union. I think that uh, the war in Ukraine is a similar gambit and its endgame, ideally for the West, is regime change in Moscow. It remains to be seen what will happen. Uh, Let's hope that uh, cooler heads uh, dominate the scene in Moscow than in the West. Uh, what's going on in the West is truly horrifying. And uh, I think an element of the baby trap, in addition to uh, 125,000 Ukrainian troops uh, massed at the border of Lukansk and Donetsk, uh, almost as many, by the way, troops as uh, the Russians have apparently invaded Ukraine with, and with Ukraine not only having committed to joining NATO, but talking about uh, violating the Budapest Accords and developing nuclear weapons, and with the plutonium in their uh, nuclear waste repositories to do just that. And with something else that we're going to be looking at, I think those were the things that uh, lured uh, Putin into doing what he did. I think he was basically faced with a choice, real, real bad, what he opted for, and even worse still, uh, Putin is being portrayed as a madman. He's anything but, and uh, that has been affected in no small measure by not only raw propaganda, but a long series of false flag operations uh, involving the phony high-profile hacks, which we've spoken about, the alleged interference in the U.S. election, uh, a remarkable perversion of reality in which Paul Manafort was uh, somehow successfully represented as a Russian agent. But Paul Manafort was a member of the arguably the top Republican law and lobbying firm, Black Manafort, Stone, and Kelly. The Stone is the founder of that law slash lobbying firm. That is Roger Stone, the arch-Republican dirty tricks expert, uh, who is currently under investigation in connection with the January 6th incident. Portraying Paul Manafort as a Russian agent is, well, it is original. Uh, the high-profile false flag operations, uh, the clumsy alleged assassinations of people like Viktor Yushchenko, uh, Alexei Navalny, the Skripals, uh, the false flag operations in Syria that were blamed on Russian allies. Uh, these are all false flag operations, and uh, they have hoped to portray Putin as you know, a madman and so forth. He's not a madman. I don't envy his position. Let us hope that with people like Mr. Sharathmal holding forth uh, on Ukrainian television and with some of the things that we've spoken about, uh, just look at the picture that I've featured in so many of the written descriptions and food for thought posts of the summer 2018 ceremony in Lvov, Ukraine, of the 75th anniversary of the 14th Waffen-SS Division, the Galician Division, 
uh, how many governments have you ever seen uh, that celebrate the, the SS? Have you ever seen any government other than Nazi Germany? I'll wager not. And recall also the December 24, 2021 vote in the UN, in which only the US and Ukraine voted uh, against a UN resolution to condemn Nazism. 130 nations voted for it. Interesting enough, the UK and EU abstained. I wonder, uh, what was going on before we delve into another element that I think convinced Putin that he had to move into Ukraine, and that is the apparent uh, biological warfare laboratories or dual-use laboratories in Ukraine. More about that in a second. We touched on that last week. Well, not last week in our last program, two days ago. But uh, what is going on now is absolutely satanic. Uh, I think under Biden, the deep state's Nazification of America is complete. And uh, in the second part of this series, it will, it will be X number of programs, I don't know how many, we're going to take a look at how uh, we belong, we belonged to the lie. Basically, how the Nazification of America took place. And uh, that was explicitly discussed by Glenn Pinchback, a part of the Operations Command at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And we'll talk about that um, later on in uh, this program and or in the broadcasts in the second part of the series. Uh, that second part of the series, we're going to go all the way back to even before World War II, and we're going to take a look, uh, by way of review for many listeners, new for some, at how America came to belong to the lie, because under Biden, the Nazification is complete, and with, uh, quote, Jews, unquote, like Anthony Blinken, who keeps the Hungarian spelling of his first name, and Victoria Newland, who was schmoozing with the Nazis, the Boba, uh, in connection with the Maidan coup. Her family name was originally Newland, and with African-Americans like Miss Thomas uh, Green, I've forgotten her name, but... Uh, uh, Linda Thomas Greenfield, I think is her name. She is the African-American U.S. representative to Ukraine, to, to Ukraine, to the United Nations. I wonder how she felt voting against that, uh, <laughs> that U.N. resolution condemning Nazism. And we've got uh, former General Austin uh, as Secretary of Defense. And uh, it, it is absolutely satanic to have these politically correct uh, front persons uh, for what is basically a Nazified America, an America that belongs to the lie. And as I have said, I think the war and its attendant coverage have been like the philosopher's stone of the alchemists, and they have transformed this country, most of the institutions and individuals in it, and the West in general, into something of the same fabric as the Ukrainian Institute of National Memory under Volodymyr Vyotrovich that is completely rewriting the World War II history of Ukraine and portrays the aforementioned 14th Waffen-SS or Galician Division, a Ukrainian Waffen-SS division composed largely of people from the UPA and the OUNB. He has portrayed them as victims, and it is now illegal to tell the truth about what the OUN and UPA did in World War II. What is happening now, again, uh, 
people like uh, Blinken and Newland and uh, Ms. Thomas Greenfield and Mr. Austin. It is absolutely satanic to have people like that fronting for a Nazified America. It's sort of, I guess one might say, Mormon Jews and brown shirts in blackface. It, it is Horrifying at one level and disgusting in another. But in the second part of our series, we are, and this will take many weeks, we are going to be reviewing some of the history of how America came to belong to the lie and how, uh, in the words of uh, Glenn Pinchback, who wrote a letter to Jim Garrison, this quoting from General Walker and the murder of President Kennedy by Jeffrey H. Caulfield, the letter had been sent to Garrison by Glenn Pinchback, and the, car- the carbon copy was sent to Mendel Rivers, a congressman from Georgia. Pinchback worked in the operations command at Fort Sill, where he intercepted mail. In the letter, David Ferry shared his dream of the reunification of Germany and living in a world where all the currency was in Deutschmarks. Pinchback's summation of the letter described, quote, a Nazi plot to enslave America in the name of anti-communism, and, quote, a Nazi plot gargantuan. In scope, that Nazi plot to, ensl- to uh, enslave America in the name of anti-communism and the Nazi plot gargantuan in scope, the same plot, is what we will be chronically in the chronicling in the second part of our series. Now, another element that I think lured uh, Putin into his move into Ukraine was the presence of biological warfare laboratories, dual-use laboratories in many uh, instances, and uh, in this regard we need to maintain several things in mind. First of all, as I have said so many times in so many programs, the difference between, quote, offensive, unquote, and defensive biological warfare research is largely academic and semantic. If one is researching how we beasties, in fact, infect, sicken, and kill plants, animals, or humans, it is the same research whether one calls it, quote, offensive, or one calls it, quote, defensive. And uh, quoting now from an article that we've used many times and excerpted many times, talking about the state of the art. Uh, it's called Synthetic Biology Risks. One more Synthetic Biology Raises Risks of New Bioweapons, U.S. Report Warns. It's by Ian Sample from The Guardian of June 19th of 2018. Advances in the area mean that scientists now have the capability to recreate dangerous viruses from scratch make harmful bacteria more deadly, and modify common microbes so that they turn out lethal toxins once they enter the body. Today, the genetic code of almost any mammalian virus can be found online and synthesized. Quote, the technology to do this is available now, said Michael Imperiali of the University of Michigan, who chaired a Defense Department symposium on this. Quote, it requires some expertise, but it's something that's relatively easy to do, and that is why it tops the list. Uh, that is less than encouraging. And uh, talking about uh, some of the major considerations, and that is, these are considerations uh, that I think help to lure Putin into the trap. I'm not sure he really had much of a choice. I mean, it's easy to say, no, we should be blah, 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 blah. I would note that an awful lot of the, quote, 
anti-fascists, unquote, who were so alarmed that Donald Trump had fallen in behind, uh, you know, we stand with Ukraine, because they didn't talk about any of the stuff that was there. And the first seven programs in this series, I reviewed a lot of information about what has been going on in Ukraine, and the vast bulk of it was review of things I had covered for years, and it's only a small portion of that coverage of the ascent of the OUNB successor organizations to control the levers of national security power in Ukraine. And uh, two articles here. Uh, one of these is uh, from The Guardian as well. It's heavily spun, but it the title is, What are Russia's Biological Weapons Claim and What's Actually Happening? I'm quote by Ed Pilkington from The Guardian of March 11th of 2022. And so to make a long story short, uh, I'm going to excerpt that article. So do biolabs exist inside Ukraine, and is the U.S. supporting them? Yes and yes. Ukraine does operate biological laboratories which receive U.S. funding. And the next uh, excerpt from that Guardian article from 3-11-2022 by Ed Pilkington, do the Ukraine laboratories store dangerous biological agents? Yes, it appears so. As part of their work researching diseases, the biolabs do seem to hold dangerous pathogens. And uh, another article comes from the New York Times, and uh, we'll talk about that in uh, a minute as well. Uh, this also is, well, it is uh, a fascinating uh, article, and uh, we'll talk about the documentation it presents about uh, what is going on, what has been going on in Ukraine. Uh, the New York Times doing its Warren Report best or worst, depending on one's choice. An article from the New York Times of March 12, 2022, in the Western Edition by Linda Q, QIU. Theory on U.S.-funded bioweapons labs is baseless, unquote. But it does have some interesting uh, information about that, quote, baseless, unquote, series of claims. One. Robert Pope, the director of the Pentagon's Cooperative Threat Reduction Program, more about that in a minute, noted that some of the facilities may contain pathogens once used for Soviet-era bioweapons programs, but he emphasized that the Ukrainian labs currently did not have the ability to manufacture bioweapons. In a March interview with the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, she spoke specifically about the Pentagon's support of 14 veterinary laboratories that provide Ukraine with sampling and diagnostic abilities to detect infectious diseases. I would note there was an allegation, we have no way of, of checking this out, but the Pravda alleged that they had come across, they had some very detailed allegations. Now, whether or not they're true, I can't say, because we have no way of cross-checking. And uh, there is basically a blackout on uh, information coming out of Russia at this point in time, for all intents and purposes. We're hearing all about how uh, Putin has shut down uh, social media and other things. Well, uh, something rather similar to that is happening uh, in the U.S., certainly analogous to it. Uh, one of the things that should be noted here, 
uh, and that is that, again, uh, once a mammalian virus is found online, it can be synthesized or modified from scratch. So a lot of what Robert Pope was saying is essentially uh, irrelevant under these circumstances. We're going to talk about the number of labs in Ukraine, that, that there are thousands of them, but the aforementioned Pravda allegation concerned a contract that was secured by Germany for the development of Congo-Crimean hemorrhagic fever. And for the records of 1157, 1158, and 1159, we took a look at a contract that that organization, or that the EcoHealth Alliance was ex- was. Uh, executing for the Pentagon to investigate Congo-Crimean hemorrhagic fever in Tanzania, which had exactly one case of that disease in its history, and that was in 1986. It is difficult to imagine that contract is anything other than a biological warfare uh, program undercover. We have noted in the past that the EcoHealth Alliance is funded primarily by the Pentagon and USAID, a State, a State Department subsidiary that uh, often serves as a cover for some of the nastiest CIA covert operations. A key advisor to Peter Bezhek, uh, by the way, as we have noted, of Ukrainian heritage, whether or not that is relevant, again, he is an ethnic Ukrainian. His father would have been 19 in 1945. Whether or not that is relevant. Uh, one of his top advisors is David Franz, the former commanding officer at Fort Beatrick, the top U.S. BW facility. Uh, one of the things that we need to note here is that the Pentagon's Cooperative Threat Reduction Program is a subsidiary organization of the Department of, the, of, the Department of Defense's well, it says here, uh, Cooperative Threat Reduction Program, that's one of the uh, names for that. And uh, the Defense Department's Threat Reduction Agency, or DPRA, has been a major source of funding for, among other things, through EcoHealth Alliance for the Wuhan Institute of Virology, or as I have termed it, the Oswald Institute of Virology. For the record program 1170, 1183 through 1192, and uh, actually maybe it's through 1193, yeah, through 1193, and then for the record 2015 of the series about the, what I call the Oswald Institute of Virology. To make a long story very short. In the context of U.S. covert operations in Hong Kong, in Xinjiang that we've covered, uh, the trade war, the U.S. withdrawal from the Intermediate Range Missile Treaty in early 2020 so that uh, we could begin uh, building missiles and stationing them to attack China, uh, all of a sudden we have the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, there was a major program using uh, EcoHealth Alliance to fund research into bat-borne coronaviruses at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. As is so often the case, commonplace, uh, more often than not, that led to the publication of papers, including the publication of genomes of the viruses that were being researched. Those viruses appear to have been then synthesized from scratch using the technology from that 2018 Guardian article, described in that 2018 Guardian article. And then uh, the Trump administration and the deep state point uh, the fingers and look, the virus that's causing this pandemic was 
being researched by the Chinese at this laboratory. It either escaped or it was deliberately disseminated, you name it. That is the lab leak theory, and that is why I call the WID, the Oswald, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the Oswald Institute of Virology. Some key excerpts from key articles from a very important article that we have excerpted in numerous programs from the last American Vagabond blog, an article by Whitney Webb. That's gene editing and bioweapons. Recent BARPA experiments raise concerns amid coronavirus outbreak, again by Whitney Webb. Now talking about the research there. Many of these recent, that is at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, many of these recent research projects are related to BERPA's Preventing Emerging Pathogenic Threats or PREEMPT program, which was officially announced in April of 2018. PREEMPT focuses specifically on animal reservoirs of disease, specifically bats, and BERPA even noted in its press release in the program that it, quote, is aware of biosafety and biosecurity sensitivities that could arise, unquote, due to the nature of the research. That then became part of the accusation in the lab leak theory. Continuing, in addition, while both BERPA's preempt program and the Pentagon's open interest in bats as bioweapons were announced in 2018, the U.S. military, specifically the Department of Defense's Cooperative Threat Reduction Program began funding research involving bats and deadly pathogens, including the coronaviruses MERS and SARS, a year prior in 2017. That is the the Cooperative Threat Reduction Program, or uh, Defense Threat Reduction Agency. Uh, the aforementioned Bobby headed up by Frederick Pope is a subsidiary element of that program, which is one of the major vehicles for the EcoHealth Alliance funding of those research projects at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, or as I call it, the Oswald Institute of Virology. More from the Whitney Webb article, talking about the harvesting of DNA from both Russians and Chinese. Since the Pentagon began, quote, began, quote, redesigning its policies and research towards a long war, unquote, with Russia and China, the Russian military has accused the U.S. military of harvesting DNA from Russians as part of a covert bioweapon program, a charge that the Pentagon has adamantly denied. Major General Igor Kirillov, the head of the Russian military's radiation, chemical, and biological protection unit who made these claims, also asserted that the U.S. was developing such weapons in close proximity to Russian and Chinese borders. Referring again to the allegation in Pravda, it maintained, in addition to the fact that uh, there was allegedly uh, research into uh, Crimean-Congo hemorrhagic fever, which was being researched for the Pentagon by uh, Equal Health Alliance, that Ukraine was a major area for bird migration. I have no idea whether that's true. If there's anything to that allegation, that would make Ukraine a primary area for this type of research. Now, again, uh, the Defense Department's, uh, I'll get the exact uh, name here, the Defense Department's agency that is headed up by Robert Pope. The Pentagon's Cooperative Threat Reduction Program is part of the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. It is a subsidiary slash contributing element of that. 
uh, from an article in both Cover Punch and uh, in Independent Science News. The same article by the same author, Sam Husseini, H-U-S-S-E-I-N-I. It was published in Cover Punch on December 21st of 2020 under the title Militarized Pandemic Science. Why is the Pentagon funding the EcoHealth Alliance? And excerpting that. Meticulous investigation of U.S. government databases reveals that Pentagon funding for the EcoHealth Alliance from 2013 to 2020, including contracts, grants, and subcontracts, was just under $39 million. Most $34.6 million was from the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, or DTRA, which is a branch of the BOB which states it is tasked to, quote, counter and deter weapons of mass destruction and improvised threat networks. Again, the distinction between, quote, offensive and, quote, defensive BW research is semantic and academic. Now, more about DTRA, a subsidiary of which is being headed up by Frederick Pope, and there are 14 Pentagon-funded veterinary laboratories in Ukraine. Bear in mind, again, that uh, the Pentagon is in the business of war fighting. They're not in the business of preventing pandemics or maintaining public health, and they're not in the business of taking care of little puppy dogs and little kitty cats either. They're in the business of war fighting, and they are very good at it. War fighting is about killing people and destroying or confiscating property. Now, from the Organic Consumers Association article, one we looked at at, extent, at great extent in our aforementioned 13-part uh, Oswald Institute of Virology series. This is by Alexis Baden-Mayer, B-A-B-E-N hyphen Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R, and is from the Organic Consumers Association of September 24th of 2020. Xi Zhengli. Weaponizing coronaviruses with Pentagon funding at a Chinese military lab. And talking about the EcoHealth Alliance uh, funding of Xi Zhengli's research. Xi Zhengli and her collaborators are also funded by the U.S. military. Peter Bashek's EcoHealth Alliance currently receives more money from the Department of Defense's Defense Threat Reduction Agency, or DTRA, for scientific research combating weapons of mass destruction than any other military contractor. $15. million of 25.575% of the $60.2 million dispersed in the last six months. And then another excerpt from that article. In addition to military funding through DTRA, Xi's paper was co-authored by two U.S. military scientists, Christopher C. Broder and Eric B. Lang of the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences Department of Microbiology and Immunology. And uh, that is uh, very, very interesting indeed. Still more from that article. A Google Scholar search produced two papers she has published that lists DTRA as a funder. To see how the first paper, Comparative Analysis of Bat Genomes, provides insight into the evolution of flight and immunity is relevant to biological weaponry, it helps to understand the military's interest in bat immunity. As Boston University's microbiologist Thomas Kepler explained to the Washington Post in 2018, the bat's unique approach to viral infection explains why viruses that transfer from bats to humans are so severe. This 
was the subject of a paper, The Egyptian Rosette Genome Reveals Unexpected Features of Bat Antiviral Immunity, that he published with military scientists and DTRA funding. Again, uh, that is the element, a subsidiary of which was uh, supervised by Frederick Pope, and it was one of the major funding conduits for the EcoHealth Alliance funding of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, or the Oswald Institute of Virology, as I have called it. I believe it was set up to take the fall uh, for the coronavirus pandemic uh, in much the same way that Lee Harvey Oswald was set up to look like a communist, then framed with the killing of President Kennedy and assassinated before he could defend himself. Continuing with findings from that DTRA-funded paper, a virus that has co-evolved with the bat's antiviral system is completely out of this element in the human, Kepler said. That's why it is so deadly. The human immune system is overwhelmed by the inflammatory response. The bat immune system responds very differently from ours to viral infection. Instead of attacking and killing an infected cell which leads to a cascade of inflammatory responses, the bat immune system can starve the virus by turning down cellular metabolism. The bat origin of SARS-CoV-2 may explain the cytokine storms that were hastening some COVID-19 deaths, indeed. And uh, one of the aspects for this coverage, and again, there is a longer a longer setting forth of these printed sources in the printed description for for the record 1235 when it comes online. One of the charges made by Frederick Pope, one of the charges made by Victoria Newland and repeated almost ad nauseum in The Guardian and uh, by uh, people in the New York Times, and it has been one of the, the charges that they've made is that there could be a false flag operation by Russia to uh, disseminate chemical and or biological weapons and try to blame Ukraine. Uh, an article talking about that appeared in the British Sun publication. It is, it sets forth some really chilling possibilities, and again, false flag operations are a major feature of the OUMB successor organizations that are in control of the uh, organs of national security in Ukraine. Azov Battalion specializes in that, and again, among the many false flag possibilities I think we need to be aware of, including uh, basically an ironic false flag possibility, which is that uh, elements in Ukraine could unleash some of the horrors I'm about to talk about, and it will then be blamed on the Russians and used to do God knows what. Start World War III, we'll see. But there was an article in The Sun from March 12th of 2022 by Imogen, I-M-O-G-E-N, Braddock, B-R-A-B-B-I-C-K, Plague Wars, Putin could unleash deadly virus from seized Ukraine lab and then blame the U.S. warns ex-Brit chemical weapons colonel. I think we could turn that one around and say plague wars. Uh, the U.S. or Ukraine could unleash deadly virus from Ukraine lab and then blame it on the Russians. Certainly, I think the presence of some of the things we are going to talk about and we have already talked about in Ukraine was yet another element of the baited trap to lure 
Putin into what I think was is a European iteration or recapitulation of the Afghanistan gambit. Noting in that regard briefly and in passing what we have noted in past programs was that Zbigniew uh, Brzezinski's son Ian is a key person in the Atlantic Council which is funded in considerable measure by the World Ukrainian Congress. That is one of the OUN successor organizations in uh, the years since the OUNB, uh, well, quote, lost, unquote, World War II. I would submit they were involved in winning it. Again, from plague wars, Putin could unleash deadly virus from seed Ukrainian labs and then blame the U.S. war's expert chemical weapons colonel. I would worry about maybe the opposite, that maybe uh, U.S. and or Ukraine could unleash these and then try to blame Russia. That could lead to a nuclear exchange. Who knows? Russia could unleash a bioweapon on Ukraine more lethal than COVID from a Ukrainian lab. The former head of the British Army's chemical weapons unit has warned. Fears are growing. Vladimir Putin could unleash a deadly plague as scientists in Ukraine have been told to destroy all high-threat, unquote, lab diseases. Colonel Hamish, or not, Colonel Hamish de Breton Gordon, former chief of the British Army's chemical weapons unit, told the Sun online that there's a possibility Russian troops could storm a lab and use it as a base to unleash a bioweapon. He also warned that the indiscriminate bombing by Putin's troops could spark chaos at one of the labs. It came as the World Health Organization said the most deadly pathogens in Ukraine's lab should be wiped out as Russia's relentless bombing has raised the risk of potential spills, unquote. Skipping down. Scared yet? If not, well, <laughs> listen to this. There are said to be more than 4,000 labs in Ukraine, and hundreds of these facilities work with, quote, moderate risk agents, unquote. Although Ukraine doesn't have a level four lab which handles the world's most dangerous pathogens, two have clearance to work with high level pathogens. These level three labs typically work with coronaviruses, tuberculosis, yellow fever, SARS, West Nile, and some strains of influenza. One more time, for emphasis. Oh, the uh, obligation at Pravda also said they were working on coronaviruses. These level three labs in Ukraine typically work with coronaviruses, tuberculosis, yellow fever, SARS, West Nile, and some strains of influenza. The main lab in Ukraine is understood to be the Ukrainian I.I. Mechnikov Anti-Plague Research Institute in Odessa, which reportedly works with, quote, especially dangerous, unquote, pathogens. Another level three lab belongs to the Central Sanitary Epidemiological Station of the Ministry of Health of Ukraine in Kiev. Skipping down. And in case you aren't scared or <laughs> nauseated yet, I think people are very concerned because they realize a virus can bring the world to its knees. Indeed. Mr. Bretton Gordon said Putin could unleash a bioweapon, quote, more lethal than COVID, unquote. He warned, if you splice COVID with something like Ebola, then you have a massive problem. The Russians could use a Ukrainian lab to release a bioweapon. In that regard, we have noted that the U.S. Army Medical Institute of Infectious Diseases at Fort Detrick was shut down for unnamed reasons in early August of 2019. They were researching, among other things, uh, some of the remdesivir and other uh, devices or uh, either 
treatments or uh, vaccines to combat Ebola, among other things, whether or not they were researching SARS-CoV-2 or related coronaviruses, we do not know because the uh, national security uh, curtain has come down in front of that. But it is worth noting that Ebola was one of the things being researched at the USAMRIIB when it was shut down. So, again, who knows, but with false flag operations being one of the Stocks in trade, so to speak, for the OUNB successor organizations in power in Ukraine, with uh, organizations like the Azov Battalion uh, running amok. Who knows just exactly what might happen? I would note, to give you an idea of how out of control things are there, the Azov Battalion executed a member of Ukraine's peace delegation that was conducting negotiations with the Russians, they shot him in cold blood and then left his body in the street. Uh, that is out of control behavior. It's also, by the way, just pa- in passing, really lousy counterintelligence methodology. If, for the sake of argument, he was a double agent, and if that had, for the sake of argument, been detected by monitored phone calls, you don't just shoot him dead, you wait, and you see who is networking with what he's doing, and at an opportune moment, you try to round up that guy and most of his operational structure. You'll just go, what? You did that? Bang! Now, I'll take care of you. Well, the rest of the network will go undetected or uninterdicted. Now, we're talking about apocalyptic scenarios. We're talking about uh, false flag operations. There is no more apocalyptic scenario than what was in apparent in action in the early 1960s when the Joint Chiefs of Staff and elements of CIA were pushing President Kennedy to launch a nuclear preemptive first strike against the Soviet Union. And there are indications that the assassination of JFK, which was initially blamed on the Soviets slash communists, was indeed not only a false flag operation in that regard, but was also very possibly going to be used to justify uh, a nuclear first strike on the Soviet Union in late 1963, which was the uh, window of opportunity that was seen as the last possible time by the aforementioned Pentagon planners. We won't have time to finish reading about this in uh, this program, so we'll continue it in our next program. But we're going to rely on a remarkable book, a very important book, not only about the JFK assassination, but about some of the things that JFK faced that we haven't been told about, and some of the things that, uh, well, we can thank the Creator if we believe in one, that JFK was in the right place at the right time, because otherwise we would literally be toast. We're going to begin reading from the book, JFK and the Unspeakable, Why He Died and Why It Matters, authored by James W. Douglas, and published in softcover by... Uh, by Touchstone Books, a division of Simon and Schuster. It was copyright 2008 by James W. Douglas. Now, uh, you're going to hear reference to a uh, monk that is a gentleman, one of the biggest figures in 20th century Catholic in the, the 20th century Catholic left, a monk, a Catholic monk named Thomas 
Merton, M-E-R-T-O-N, who, by the way, died rather suspiciously. He died when he was electrocuted by a fan in Thailand, an electric fan in Thailand in December of 1968. Uh, he was one of the people who warned that, in fact, elements in the U.S. were working on a first strike scenario on the Soviet Union. And uh, as it turns out, and as we will cover, we we'll probably won't have time to go into this until our next broadcast, the false flag operation that the JFK assassination was. It's why I talk about the Oswald Institute of Biology when... Uh, Oswald was framed and set up to uh, be a communist, then framed for the JFK assassination and killed before he could defend himself, rather like, I believe, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, or the Oswald Institute of Virology, as I call it, was set up to take the fall for the coronavirus. Now, about the early first attempts in 1961 to get JFK to sign off on a first strike against the Soviet Union. Reading from JFK and the Unspeakable, Why He Died and Why Why It Matters, 2008 by James Douglas. How real was the threat to use President Kennedy's assassination as a justification for an attack on Cuba and the Soviet Union? When we take off our Warren Commission blinders, we can see that the letter sent to the Soviet embassy, that was a letter supposedly from Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, it was not, in fact, from Lee Harvey Oswald. But how real was the threat to use President Kennedy's assassination as the justification for an attack on Cuba and the Soviet Union? When we take off our Warren Commission blinders, we can see that the letter sent to the Soviet embassy was designed to implicate the Soviets and Cubans in the murder of the President of the United States. That was the apparent tactic of a twofold winner take all plot, a plot to assassinate the president who was prepared to negotiate an end to the Cold War, intertwined with a deeper plot to use fraudulent proof of the USSR's and Cuba's responsibility for that assassination so as to justify the option of preemptive strikes on those same two communist nations. President Kennedy encountered that kind of push for a nuclear first strike against the Soviet Union from the beginning of his presidency. While such a, quote, winning strategy, unquote, was becoming a top-secret military priority, the pressures on Kennedy to approve it were so intense that it took a contemplative monk in the silence of his Kentucky monastery to recognize and articulate the truth. By the way, uh, in programs 925 and 926, we talk about... uh, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald in Mexico City and the complex gambit that set up uh, the Soviet Union and or Cuba to take the fall for JFK's assassination. Uh, the fellow who supposedly went to the embassy uh, in Mexico City was not Lee Harvey Oswald, although he identified himself, uh, he was identified as Lee Harvey Oswald. By the way, the same that the New York Times published the Warren Report and covered all of this up. Now, continuing with James Douglas's uh, account here of uh, Thomas Merton, a Kentucky uh, monk in uh, a monk in a Kentucky monastery, in the first half of 1962, as the Cuban Missile Crisis drew near, Thomas Merton, capital M-E-R-T-O-N, shared his intuition about the increasing danger of a U.S. preemptive strike with as many people as he could. It was a recurring theme in his mimeographed manuscript, Peace in the Post-Christian Era, that he sent to a host of friends, including Ethel Kennedy. He wrote in that prophetic text, quote, 
There can be no question that at the time of writing what seems to be the most serious and crucial development in the policy of the United States is this indefinite but growing assumption of the necessity for, of a first strike, unquote. As Merton sensed rightly from the hills of Kentucky, the Joint Chiefs of Staff in Washington, D.C., were in fact pressuring their young Commander-in-Chief John F. Kennedy to support the strategic necessity of a first strike. They first did so in the summer of 1961 in a National Security Council meeting whose significance remained deeply hidden until the declassification of a top-secret document in 1994. Economist James K. Galbraith, the son of Kennedy's friend and ambassador to India, John Kenneth Galbraith, co-authored an article that used the newly disclosed document to expose the nuclear first-strike agenda of Kennedy's military chiefs. At the July 20th, 1961 NSC meeting, General Hickey, H-I-C-K-E-Y, chairman of the, quote, Net Evaluation Subcommittee, unquote, of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, presented a plan for a nuclear surprise attack on the Soviet Union, quote, in late 1963, preceded by a period of heightened tensions, unquote. Other presenters of the preemptive strike plan included General Lyman Lemnitzer, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and CIA Director, and I would add Warren Commission Member Alan Bellis, Alan Bellis, excuse me, Vice President Lyndon Johnson's military aide Howard Burris wrote a memorandum on the meeting for Johnson, who was not present. According to the Burris memorandum, President Kennedy raised a series of questions in response to the first strike presentation he heard. He asked about the preemptive attacks likely damage to the USSR, its impact if launched in 1962, and how long U.S. citizens will have to remain in fallout shelters following such an attack. Well, the Burris Memorandum is valuable in its revelation of the first strike agenda. It does not mention Kennedy's ultimate disgust with the entire process. We know that fact first from its disclosure in an oral history by Roswell Gilpatrick, JFK's Deputy Secretary of Defense. Gilpatrick described the meeting's abrupt conclusion, quote, Finally, Kennedy got up and walked right out in the middle of it, and that was the end of it, unquote. Kennedy's disgusted reaction to this National Security Council meeting was also recorded in books written by Arthur Schlesinger Jr., McGeorge Bundy, and Dean Rusk. None of them, however, identified the first strike focus of the meeting that prompted that disgust. They described the meeting in only the most general terms as, quote, the net evaluation, an annual doomsday briefing analyzing the chances of nuclear war, Schlesinger, or, quote, a formal briefing on the net assessment of a general nuclear war between the two superpowers, unquote, Bundy. However, as much as JFK was appalled by a general nuclear war, his walkout was in response to a more specific evil in his own ranks. U.S. military and CIA leaders were enlisting his support for a plan to launch a nuclear attack on the Soviet Union. Kennedy didn't just walk out, he also said what he thought of the entire proceeding. He led Rusk back to the Oval Office with what Rusk, with what Rusk described as, quote, a strange look on his face, unquote. Kennedy turned and said to the Secretary of State, quote, and we call ourselves the human race. And we call ourselves the human race, unquote, was directed especially at the we, unquote, himself included. His walkout could not have pleased his military 
and CIA chiefs. We'll uh, continue with this account, overlapping probably with what we've just read in our next program. I would note that I first came across the OUNB in connection with the attempt at uh, painting Oswald Red in connection with the false flag operation of the JFK assassination. This concludes Federal Record Program number 1235, How Many Lies Before You Belong to the Lie, being recorded on March 16th of 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun.